Let's move on then to our final conversation of the day. And like I said, we're looking at fibroids for our health feature. Dr. Zenda is on the line. Good morning, Mpumi. Good morning, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for making time to come on to the show and for being with us for the next hour. It's an absolute, absolute pleasure. I am looking forward to the hour. One of the things that I think a lot of women talk about is, um, and especially that concerns women's health, is fibroids. Um, But Mm. that's the popular term for it. That's kind of how it's known. But when we talk about fibroids, what are we really uh, talking about here? And why is it that it seems that more and more women uh, are now suffering from fibroids? So fibroids are actually one of the most common, um, call it gynecological uh, issues that a lot of women face. In particular, it's more prevalent in African women um, where, you know, a percentage of as much as one in four uh, black women are likely to have fibroids. The good thing is that most of the time, more than 50% of the time, they are completely asymptomatic. We find them um, sometimes incidentally when someone is just coming for their checkup. Um, also, what's what's really good about it is that they are what we call non-cancerous or benign uh, growths that, that occur either inside the muscle of the womb or just under or on top, but basically involving the muscle of the womb. So, um, and I think the reason, you know, you asked a very pertinent question, why does it look like, or it seem like um, we, we are seeing more and more women with them? I think they've always been there. I think we've just got gotten better at doing our checkups. So they are probably discovered much earlier and more often than usual. Also, women are more aware of their bodies. So when things change, they start being symptomatic. Maybe there's a bit of like blo- like bloating or a heaviness down by the pelvis. You know, a woman is more likely nowadays to be like, I need to actually go and see a gynae. When, when, we, when we talk about how fibroids develop, uh, what is the process that leaves, leads to their development and growth? Because, uh, you know, sometimes you're told that they differ in sizes. Some people have to get operated on, others not necessarily. Mm. Yeah. So, they, I mean, there's been a lot of theories about the exact reason or why they, they occur. And, and, and it's still kind of sort of hanging in the air. There is a theory about the amount of collagen that, um, you know, a, a person has because it, it comes from or it stems from the actual muscle of the womb. Um, but things that um, have been shown to be predisposing, for example, there is the genetic factor, which means if it runs in the family, you'll find that the women in the family um, um, may have uh, fibroids from that genetic uh, lineage. Also, you know, there is a higher risk um, when someone has a high BMI um, or even obese. Um, Also, something that is quite, uh, um, uh, you know, seems to increase the risk is is women who have given birth um, appear to be at a lower risk. So not having had children um, or or being pregnant um, seems to increase that risk as well. And, And do we know why? Um, no, no, not really. I think just based on the research that has been done, it was found. So it's one of those enigmas where 
we, you know, we can't tell why exactly are like, for example, the fact that, you know, African women are more predisposed compared to, for example, Caucasian or Asian women, um, you know, the, the, the actual specifics of it. But when you look from a demographic, um, this is one of the things that is quite prevalent, that it is um, more so in, in African women. One of the dangers, of course, is that um, in some women you'll have maybe one fibroid, but in others you can have multiple fibroids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the the spectrum in terms of the, the symptoms differs quite significantly. Yes, it does depend on the type of symptom, does depend on where is the fibroids, um, the, the number of fibroids, how big are they, and, and, and also quite significantly where a woman is in their reproductive life. You know, um, if we find them incidentally in your, you know, sort of like late 30s into your 40s, the likelihood is that they've been growing quite slowly, whereas the ones where you find they're already big in your 20s, which is generally at the beginning of your reproductive life, um, those are the ones that are generally quite um, uh, uh, debilitating in terms of the symptoms that then um, occur. Mm. You've already said that, uh, you know, one in four women would have uh, fibroids, but many of them would go unnoticed because they wouldn't necessarily be symptomatic. For those who yeah. do experience symptoms, what are the things that people need to be looking out for? So one of the, the the most obvious cardinal signs with fibroids is bleeding, particularly associated with the period. So if your period is longer than um, seven days, that is quite alarming. Um, what we call a heavy period or abnormal uterine bleeding. Um, generally, you'll also find that they're not just um, you know heavy in terms of the number of days, but also that if you have to change the sanitary towel tampon uh, at less in less than two hours, that is quite suggestive. Also, big clots um, that could be quite suggestive of fibroids, and this can actually um, be 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 telling even before they are so big that you can feel them. You know, so in some people they are small, but if they like multiple. Um, that causes the uterus not to be able to contract well and prevent that extra um, um, uh, bleeding that you then would find. So that's the other thing. So it's the heavy bleeding, which leads to somebody experiencing symptoms of anemia because of the amount of blood they tend to lose during their period. Are, are those just are those the, the only two main symptoms that we're no, looking No, absolutely. Yeah, so so those would be the sort of like the first uh, generally most obvious. Mm. Um, the bigger the fibroids are, then you start experiencing um, discomfort um, that could also be experienced as pressure and sometimes even as actual pain in the lower pelvis. Um, so you find a woman constantly complaining of what we call chronic pelvic pain. Um, this can be experienced during sexual intimacy as well, where they, they, they experience pain. Um, and the other two big things that are really affected, particularly in women who are still of their reproductive age, who want to 
and, and conceive. So it may interfere, fibroids may interfere with fertility. So the ability to actually fall pregnant, either by the compression or the blockage of the tubes, or just if they are quite numerous, just not making that lining um, suitable for a pregnancy to attach. But also, even for the woman who may have fallen pregnant, there is a higher risk of having a miscarriage in somebody who's got a multifibroid uterus. All right, we're in conversation with Dr. Mpumi Zenda. Uh, she is a gynecologist. We're talking about fibroids, and you heard there uh, just some of the symptoms that, um, you know, are caused by fibroids, and these are the things that we all need to be aware of. We'll be uh, continuing the conversation with Dr. Zenda, and as always, I'll also be opening the phone lines. I'll be taking your calls on 011-714-2006 if you have specific questions for her to uh, answer on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107. And I know the issue of fertility is a really, really big one. And we'll find out then what are the options that are available to uh, women who are suffering from fibroids and are also trying to conceive. More on that after this quick break. Leading the conversation. We're continuing with our health feature. We're talking about fibroids with Dr. Mbumi Zenda. So, uh, Dr. Mbumi, when should when should yes. women go and see a doctor? So, if I've been listening to this conversation and maybe I've ticked one or two uh, symptoms, I'm unsure. When should I go to the doctor? Absolutely, immediately. You know, um, the you know we mentioned earlier that some people will even have no symptoms at all so one of the one of the areas that always opens up those opportunities for women to 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 go and 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 get checked is your just your general gynae checkups which should be happening every year um and that does not mean you have to do a pap smear every year just by the way conversation for another day um, so that's where you would generally find or pick up incidental findings. But if you're already experiencing any kind of symptoms that we have mentioned, please go and see a gynae because um, there are investigations. So from doing ultrasounds to checking what your blood, what's happening in your, in your, in your blood, what we call a hemoglobin, have you dropped that? Because also what generally happens with a lot of women is they kind of walk around with this for years and you find that they are, you know, your productivity, they're sitting with a, a hemoglobin of like less than 10. And so your energy levels are low and you can't quite put your finger um, as to what is actually wrong. And, and for, for, for the treatment options that are available uh, where fibroids are concerned, what are the various treatment causes? I think just more broadly, again, for those that uh, will need surgery and those that won't need surgery. Sure. So um, the, 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 the treatment options generally depend on the symptoms at hand, but also things to be considered are um, in terms of either preserving reproduction or not needing to preserve reproduction, particularly in a woman who says, look, I've finished my, uh, um, my family. I, I don't necessarily need to preserve um, the womb. Um, and when you look at, for example, those who don't need treatment, Generally, it's those who are asymptomatic um, or who have got very minor symptoms um, where just perhaps using something more conservative, either like 
uh, a hormonal medication um, will suffice. Um, and, and, and usually it's also the people who don't have debilitating symptoms like the anemia. So if you've had to be admitted to hospital and transfuse blood, you probably, that, that episode is likely to recur and you probably are one of those people who needs to be considering surgical intervention. And then when it comes to the, the surgical, again, like I said, if they are big and if they are perhaps interfering with things like reproduction, someone who wants to fall pregnant, even if we want to try things like IVF, the environment has to be absolutely suitable. So you generally find that the fertility specialist will remove those fibroids um, in the case of somebody who still wants the possibility of falling pregnant. Um, 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 the very, very big ones, Surgery as well is, is sort of like divided. You can have what you call open surgery where we actually open up and, and, and operate inside or you can have laparoscopic surgery um, where we insert uh, slack rods with cameras that are able to operate depending on the skill of the surgeon and, and the size of the fibroids. So it's very individualized. Treatment for fibroids is very individualized depending on what a person needs, um, whether we are preserving fertility or not, um, the age and the size of the fibroids. Also, just the general well-being of a person. You don't want to bring somebody who's got maybe other comorbid diseases um, for a high-risk surgery. And so you might opt to do things that are more conservative um, for those kind of clients. Mm. When we look at, again, uh, once surgery has taken place, does that automatically mm. mean that the issue has been dealt with? <coughs> or is there a high risk in others where they can redevelop? Yeah, that's, that's the thing with fibroids is that they can recur. And generally, those that have developed slowly over uh, years, um, even the recurrence is generally slower. But for those people, like I said, if you're having big fibroids in your 20s, where you've still got a long uh, reproductive life ahead, um, there is a theory that uh, fibroids grow because of the estrogen or, or the, the estrogen in the woman's body, it, it, it um, uh, basically promotes the growth of the fibroids. So somebody who's still got a long reproductive years ahead of them, that's a lot of estrogen. Uh, and so they are more likely to have um, um, that recurrence, which is um, often why, particularly for women who want to fall pregnant and you kind of gauge in, should I fall pregnant? or should I go do surgery, we often have that discussion on an individual basis to say, if you would like to fall pregnant, let's remove the fibroids. And then six months later, almost immediately, then we try and fall pregnant so that we don't give them too much time to be able to recur. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a a, a difficult um, conversation mm. and a difficult mm. process. I think that that many women actually go through. You know, we're talking about it now from a clinical perspective, but it draws so much out of women, even emotionally. Absolutely, absolutely, Kathy. And you know, um, that's why I, I always encourage women. Always utilize the the benefit of a multidisciplinary team. Um, you know, when it comes to things 
like our reproductive organs, there is a lot of our womanhood that is often attached to it as well. So having um, a, a psychologist in place is always a very good idea. Having a supportive structure um, that goes a long way, particularly a you know an understanding partner or spouse, and just having people around you that can go the process with you, even the medical team that you pick. I always say, um, choose doctors that you trust and 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 that you can absolutely rely on, um, um, because it is quite a process to go through. Um, the motions. And, and do you find that there isn't enough education that is available to people out there? Because it's one thing if you have really some of the best doctors that are working with you, but um, if you know if you can't really afford, uh, you know, public uh, private sector doctors, um, what are the options that are available to you? Yeah, Kathy. I mean, it it is said, you know, historically. Um, when it comes to women's health, it hasn't always been a priority. Um, I think um, a lot of, I mean, something like fibroids, for example, is a very treatable condition, particularly when it's discovered early. But if people don't even know that they're supposed to go and have their checkups, um, they're not, they don't, they're not sure what are abnormal um, periods, for example. Um, you'll find somebody saying, oh, no, your aunt was like that. Your grandmother was like that. We bleed for 15 days per month. It's normal. That is very inaccurate information. And if people don't know that that's abnormal, they're not going to seek out the, the help. So um, and to, to answer that question, I don't think there is enough awareness, um, not just on the fibroids, but on just an overall um, perspective in terms of accurate information when it comes to women's health. In many ways, it's also about lifting the veil on menstruation and not letting it be a conversation that is hidden, you know, or be something that must be spoken about amongst women, like, oh, close the door. Somebody mentioned the word (laughs) menstruation. You know what I mean? (laughs) We're going to continue the conversation in a moment. It's 11.30. Mpositole is standing by with the latest headlines. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. We continue the conversation with Dr. Mbumi Zenda, who is a gynecologist, also known as uh, Dr. Gaini, and we're talking about fibroids today. And, you know, uh, Mbumi, one of the things that, that I was saying, even now with the team, and they, they're sharing some of their stories just of how um, taboo it, it is uh, and remains. I don't know why, but how it remains, just being able to speak openly about menstruation and some of the challenges that come with menstruation. Yeah, it, it, it's a big it's a big problem, um, Kathy. And and I think, you know, when 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 we often ask, OK, so then what? What do we do? I think we have to have um, uh, a lot more conversations. And I think it's not just the, the conversations about the taboo. You know, one of the important questions I get asked is, when do you start talking to your children about sex? And I say, you know, you don't start talking to your children about sex. You start talking to your children about everything from as early as they can communicate because it is about creating safe spaces where these conversations can be had. Everybody wants to talk about sex, about fibroids, about menstruation, but it is about 
have we created safe spaces where whether it is a gender discrepancy or whether it is an age or uh, um you know generational gaps can the generational gaps be breached in those conversations and mm. um, with pe- the young ones feeling comfortable to come to their parents i mean we didn't have that even when you you know when you would go on your period for the first time a lot of women share very you know traumatic stories about you know how that went down a lot of the times it's you know close your legs if you play with boys you'll fall pregnant um that's that's inaccurate information so safe spaces accurate information um that will eventually cascade to having a ripple effect in us having these conversations mm. without calling them taboo or without having to say we need to normalize um you know period hygiene or uh, period poverty and it, it it should just be part of the conversation important conversations that are had between generations between genders and 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 across because the problem is that you have then many women that are are suffering in silence. I'm going to start taking the messages that are coming in for you now. Uh, I want mm. to begin with this one, and uh, it says, "Kindly ask your honourable guest if my beloved 32-year-old daughter will be able to ever get children, uh, since she was diagnosed uh, with fibroids and was operated on in 2010. I'm a concerned father and very much anticipating having grandchildren. Uh, please help." Um thank you so very much. Um y- you know it's a very vague uh history that they're giving but a lot of women who have had um fibroids and had them removed go on to be able to have um and be able to fall pregnant. Um it it does vary depending on how big they were, what were the complications because sometimes you find that um we may need to do IVF because perhaps the tubes were completely destroyed um but the important thing is one your daughter needs to absolutely go possibly see a gynae or even a fertility specialist at this point to do the accurate assessment as to where are we and what other intervention needs to be put in place for her to be able to fall pregnant and you know and and i understand he's asking the question as a concerned father his heart is in the right place yeah. but again it also comes down to society its expectations yeah. and the pressure that that creates on women as well for circumstances that are sometimes really not in their control absolutely absolutely you know um one of the greatest burden i i see women carry is this idea that we are 100% responsible for reproduction for example um if there is an issue in fertility within a couple the first person who is more concerned and and feeling the pressure is often the woman um and 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 that is not that is not fair and it's not entirely accurate um whenever there is a situation or a circumstance um it needs to be looked from both sides but it's just highlighting exactly what you're talking about Kathy that you know women particularly carry the burden when it comes to reproductive health whether you're talking about a termination of pregnancy whether we're talking about access to contraception whether we're talking about um issues even of you know gender based violence uh, sexual assault and things um generally you find that it is the woman who carries 
the greater burden um, when it comes to reproductive health. I want to start playing some of the voice notes that have been sent through to the show. Uh, so what I'll do is that I'll play the voice note and then I'll give you a chance to respond straight after. So. This is Sibongile Austin here. I suffered a lot um, when I started getting my period from the age of 11. It was absolute torture for me to go on period every month, heavy bleeding, clots, period. Uh, I had to change my pad every hour. I was always a mess, suffered throughout high school. Now I realize that it may have been fibroid, but I want to ask a question. So right uh, when I was at university, uh, I then had um, an experience where obviously through a period and terrible pains, three solid, you know, it was like the ball size came out three. They they pushed out of my vagina and I am not sure what it is that came out. It was absolutely painful and I've been hospitalized so many times as a teenager as well sure. because of bleeding. Oh. Spongile, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. I, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Um, mm. Bumi? So, um, uh, yeah, man, uh, Spongile, thank you so much for, for sharing that story. I think two things that I just wanted to, 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 to touch on. One is, you know, this started at the age of 11. I think one of the greatest things we need to do, as particularly as parents, as moms to daughters, is to pay a little bit more attention when, um, you know, children complain. A lot of teenagers actually have very abnormal periods, either they are very erratic and irregular or they're painful or um, uh, like in Smongila's case, they're very heavy. Um, that is a good time to send to take your daughter to to see a gynae so that um, treatment and diagnosis can actually occur um, um, at an early stage. Um, when she talks about things that came out, it's like, again, it, it is a little bit vague. We don't know was, um, if, if it is like in a clot particularly with heavy bleeding, you can get very big clots. So it could have been clots. Um, the, the nature of fibroids in itself, it's very unlikely that they would come out on, you know, on their own unless they were sort of like hanging um, something that we call a pedunculated fibroid, uh, particularly if it's attached to the cervix, uh, but very unlikely. Um, I think if you're still experiencing those symptoms, please do get checked out um, and have the necessary investigations. The, the earlier um, these things are diagnosed, the better, and, 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 and especially because they really do disturb um, a woman's quality of life. Mm. One of the things that uh, Spongile's uh, message is bringing up for me is the need to not dismiss, especially young girls, when they're talking about their experiences with their periods because it's very easy for people to say oh you're mm. just being dramatic or oh, just take panado yeah. you'll be fine you know and yeah. and and that then automatically says to them okay um you're being dramatic there's nothing abnormal uh, taking place here mm. and and you find that that's not necessarily the case yeah that's very true i mean that's 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 spot on kathy um we, and 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 it's unfortunate because i often think you know, the current generation of mothers at the moment, we didn't have the benefit of having um, those kind of conversations with our parents. So perhaps it does put on almost like 
uh, it's the first time we're kind of finding our way in the dark, but we would do, you know, better for, for ourselves, for our children and the generations to come if we just, um, you know, make those conversations and, and, and just, pay, just pay a little bit of attention. I know, you know, moms have a lot of pressures and things, but that's one of the things, for example, as a young girl, I absolutely yearn for. Uh, it's not that I wasn't loved. My mom is amazing, is incredible, but it's just those fine things of just pay attention. I'm trying to say something to you and you're so absorbed or busy in your, you know, in your own world. Um, it, it goes such a long way. And, and like I said, you already create that safe reservoir for your child so that even when they are in trouble, um, you are the first point of contact mm. um, to, to, to run to. All right. I'm going to play another WhatsApp voice note for you. Hello. <coughs> Hello, Katie. I would like to ask your guest, as men, as men, what can we do to support our women in, in order to fight all these the fighters and all those things? Because I want to be a supportive husband, so I want to know, as a man, what can we do to support when we're going through all the process of fibroids? Mbomi? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that that is that is such a, a great a great a great one. Um, um, even research shows that women who feel supported um, do better, whether it is during a pregnancy, whether it is um, during a treatment plan, whether surgery or conservative management. Um, and and the best way I think that you can be supportive as men one is you know, get some kind of understanding. So if it is a sense of education on the topic, um, read a little bit on the topic. Um, and then the next thing is stay attuned to your partner in terms of what they're going through. So ask very open-ended questions about, um, so how do you experience what, what you're going through? Um, and, and, and I think one of the last but most important thing is, you know, we need to support people in the way that they feel supported. So women may need a lot of different things. Some people just need um, the emotional support and to be loved and to be cared for. Some people need, there's a financial uh, um, support that may be necessary. Um, some people, it is the support within the household, you know, in terms of chores or just in terms of um, taking the, you know, like, you know, some dads be like, I'll take the kids to a movie whilst you rest. You know, that is a form of support. So ask your partner, how best can I um, give you support in the way that is most meaningful to you? And, and I think you would have done a pretty good job in just giving an all-round kind of support to mm, your partner. Mm, so, so important. And I love how you say it. You know, people want to be supported in different ways. So ask, don't just assume uh, that this is the yeah. kind of support that somebody uh, needs, but ask, how can mm. I uh, support you during this uh, this during this period? I want to t yeah. go to Maba, to uh, Dr. Aid or Ade. I'm not sure uh, I'm, pro I'm pronouncing it correctly. Good morning. Good morning, Katie, and good morning to the listeners. Yes. This is Dr. Adams mm -hmm. from Um, Thank you very much to the good doctor there, Dr. Gaini. Uh, thank you. Doing a good job. Yeah. I just want to touch on two things. The first one is the male perspective. The focus so far has been on women. 
having to know about their uh, health. But sometimes the male partner or even the female partner may be the one that will pick it up. Because sometimes, sometimes when women go on period for a prolonged period of time or it's heavy, I remember some men will say they are starving because you know what I mean by that. So when you have, when you are in such a situation, you may also advise your female partner probably to go for a checkup. So that's the first aspect. The second one is the issue of management. Recently, I have a few patients where you refer them for sooner or thereabouts. They will be advised to go for uterine embolectomy. Mm. But post that procedure, most of them, they don't get better. Even the size tend to grow bigger. What's your view about that procedure, embolectomy, as opposed to the straightforward myomectomy? Thank you. Mm. Mm. All right. Thank, thanks for that question, Dr. Ade. Um, Doc, you, you, thank you so much for that. I mean, that you touched very important, and, and I think maybe in the very last uh, comments that we made um, in answer to the, 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 the gentleman who was asking how men can be supportive, um, that, is, that is very true. Um, information, um, give the support in the way that the person feels most supported, um, and, and, and just be there. Um, so, so it goes without saying. Then when it comes to um, the embolization, uh, um, my mutual embolization, that, you know, the, the, I think the studies range quite, quite significantly. Sometimes it is used to, for someone who wants to decrease the size and then for surgery. So it, 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 it really does depend on the individual. You will sometimes find patients who are absolutely, um, you know, don't want to do any kind of surgical uh, procedure. And uh, instead of not giving anything, they opt for embolization. That's also okay because the autonomy of the patient is, is important. Um, I think also I did mention much earlier on, you will find patients who may have other comorbid conditions where you'll find that it is more threatening to take them to, um, to theater for a surgical procedure and therefore opting for embolization. We are often concerned a little bit with embolization because it blocks or it decreases the blood flow to the uterus in the attempt to starve the fibroids um, of the blood supply. Um, and in somebody who still may want to fall pregnant, um, it's often not advisable because of that decreasing of the supply and that may compromise a future pregnancy. Um, so so it, it really is in totality, the treatment of fibroids is very individualized depending on what are the needs of the woman and also the size and where, where you know, the, the kind of symptoms the woman is experiencing. All right. Uh, Mpumi, I've got so many WhatsApp voice notes for you and also messages <laughs> that are coming through on this hour. I'm going to take a quick break and then see how many of these voice notes we can actually try and get through. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. 
We're continuing to focus on women's health. Dr. Mpumi Zenda is a gynecologist, and uh, today we're looking at fibroids. So lots of your WhatsApp voice notes that are coming through and also uh, some messages on this issue. So we'll continue with the voice notes and get uh, Dr. Zenda to respond to as many of uh, the questions that you have as possible. Hi, good morning, Kathy. Um, my name is Muniba. And I have a problem every month. Um, I get my menstruation. My stomach starts swelling up so much that I look like someone that's six months pregnant. And um, I have immense pains pains in my tummy on both sides. And um, three weeks ago, I went for a pap smear. And um, by the yesterday, I think today, I have to go and get the results still. And... Um, Yes, uh, this happens every month. I get my menstruation. My stomach swells like a big ball. And even after um, my menstruation is done, then my stomach is still a bit swollen. Um, This happens to me every month. And some months, um, some months to get my period, I have to ask my husband to sleep with me. Then the next day I will get my periods. Um... And the pains is very, very, very sore. Sometimes it's so sore I can't even sleep on a left side or a right side because um, there's pain there or my whole leg is numb from the pain. Dr. Mpumi? Sure. Um, so, Maniba, there's, there's quite a lot of things that, you know, she mentions. Um, firstly, I just wanted to say in the, in the, um, you know, the context of, of, our, of our conversation, this is not specific uh, treatment plan or clinical diagnosis. Uh, first and foremost, many but you do need to go probably have a checkup by the doctors. Um, the swelling up, the you know you we don't uh, I can't fully know whether is it a solid kind of which is what fibroids feel like. It's like you actually can feel a solid mass. Um, it, it, it may kind of be influenced by your cycle or your period. Um, but the other thing that may be causing the swelling up is that premenstrual bloating as a result of the progesterone um, in the system, the, the high progesterone in the system just before you go on your period. Um, so a, a checkup would be the most important part of it. She complains of a lot of pain all around, which is um, also quite sinister, you know, chronic pelvic pain. We need to be able to, to check and see what is the, what is the underlying cause. And also if it is even from the reproductive organs, because there are other organs um, in the area. So the necessary investigations from ultrasounds, perhaps CT scans, MRIs, um, and may need a, a surgical investigation, laparoscopy, hysteric, uh, and hysterotomy as well. Um, but the, the bottom line is with everything she has mentioned, it is very suggestive that please do go see your guy. Anything that goes out of the ordinary um, of your cycle that is a good reason for you to go and get it checked out and rather be nothing than um, you sort of like being dismissive of the symptoms. Mm. I've got a message here from Anonymous who says, my wife is always in pain uh, every time we have sex. She's now 32. Mm. She once removed a cyst. Uh, We've been married for 10 years and we're struggling to have a child. Uh, She's reluctant to go to a gynecologist and uh, I am 37. What can we do? Sure. Um, I, I want to take that question almost backwards and, and, and say, 
uh, perhaps a message to, to, to us as clinicians. Um, I don't know what is the reason that um, um, his wife is reluctant to go see a gynae, but more and more, I do hear women who complain about the kind of um, you know, uh, uh, spaces we have as gynees, they're not very comfortable and, 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 and it makes a lot of women anxious and apprehensive in seeking out help. And, and I suppose the cry out is, can we create more inviting and comfortable spaces for our clients? Um, and then the good thing with this couple is one, they are young. They're sort of like at the peak of their reproduction. He's 37, she's 32. So uh, I don't necessarily think a cyst alone um, would be a cause for issues of inf um, uh, infertility. I do think, especially if they have been trying for uh, more than a year, do go see your gynae. And it's not just the gynae. You know, every person uh, contributes 50%. So um, from the woman's side, it is your checkups with your gynae so we can have a look and see if there's anything that would be interfering but also to suggest and perhaps prescribe things that may help in creating a better envir environment for um, and for a pregnancy. But something that is also quite pertinent is when it comes to issues of, of infertility, the guy or the man is just as you know uh, responsible um, from lifestyle to diet to uh, sometimes maybe even needing supplements. If somebody has underlying conditions, you know that will affect. Uh, greatly, uh, not only the sex life, but also the ability um, to to reproduce. So I, I don't think think they should sort of cover the whole situation with a black uh, curtain. Please do go find a gynae suitable for you and start having the conversations and the necessary investigations. Hi, Casey. I, I, I've been experiencing the painful periods ever since I started the periods. And then I went to doctors, gynas, didn't see nothing, but they were very painful, but no, no heavy pain, but now I'm starting to have a child. So I'm asking, what should I do now? Hmm. Dr. Mpumi? Yeah. Um, just quickly, when it comes to pain during periods, I often say um, it's one of two things. One, it's either somebody has normal, um, I don't want to say normal, but the common period pains, but it's in the way that we take uh, pain medication. A lot of women, we take medication um, when the pain is at its peak, when we're actually supposed to take the medication as we start to feel the pain come on. And try and take the medication as prescribed. If it's been given for three times a day, take it three times a day to keep the pain threshold under the medication as opposed to only take it when you feel the pain is coming on. Um, anyone who takes medication and the pain is still not controlled, um, they are not able to function, they are not able to perhaps go to work, go to school, um, that is quite sinister of possibly endometriosis. And the best way to diagnose endometriosis over and above the symptoms that we complain about is to put cameras inside and actually have a look. So if you haven't had that kind of investigation, I would strongly encourage, um, let's get that done. Endometriosis is another debilitating uh, um, uh, gynecological condition, but if treated and nursed quite early, um, you start getting the hang of it. Also, um, we are able to give you medication that stops or that um, 
uh, uh, slows down the progress of the endometriosis. Good afternoon, SAFM, and to listeners and to the honourable guest. It's Selvan Governor from Durban. I'd just like to ask the honourable guest, uh, with regard to females with uh, PCOS, does it uh, affect the female in uh, conceiving children? Uh, just some feedback, does uh, PCOS and what are the symptoms of uh, females having PCOS? Thank you. Good morning, Sister. Uh, Dr. Mpumi, of course, PCOS can be a, a whole conversation on its own, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Um, but he's spot on, yes, it does particularly affect uh, fertility or ability to conceive. That's because one of the big things with PCOS is that a woman is unable to ovulate regularly. Good morning, Sister and the doctor. Um, if I heard well that... Um, uh, fibroids can be can be treated, and if a woman wants to fall pregnant, uh, she can fall pregnant, like what the doctor mentioned, say, after a period of six months or so. So I wanted to find out, say, supposing someone wants to fall pregnant, uh, and maybe they fall pregnant uh, after the surgery of the, of the fibroids, uh, will the pregnancy be secured, uh, leading to a healthy baby growing until deliverance and will that lead to a safe deliverance of a healthy baby i just want to know thank you dr Mpum. Mm. very very important question the first thing is we had mentioned the the six months the six months um is generally what we allow for the womb to be able to heal and heal appropriately. Of course, things like what we call fibrosis, so like scarring where uh, the, 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 the scar was of the fibroid and of the surgery, that is an area that you find is not well perfused with blood often. And so there is a risk of um, uh, um, things like miscarriages uh, in a previously operated uh, womb. The other thing when it comes to, he asked about you know, um, a safe delivery, we, when we've operated on the uterus or on the womb itself, we assume that as scarring and therefore sometimes may need, um, so for example, in pregnancy to deliver that woman by cesarean section and not allow them to go through the natural labor. But like I said, it's generally very individualized and depending on the risk that, that, that are, um, are there, how big were the fibroids, and, and, and so forth, all those things come to play, but we plan the treatment or the pregnancy plan for that woman um, uh, uh, individualized to their uh, circumstance. Dr. Mpumi Zenda, let me thank you so much for your time today. Uh, she is a gynecologist. You can find her Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Gaini and on Twitter, she's at Celeb Gaini. Thank you so much for making time to speak to us about this.